a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. You know, back in the day, this would only have applied to people who are within, you know, earshot of whatever terrestrial radio tower uh, I happen to be bouncing off at the moment. But I kind of like where the new frontier is taking us and through digital platforms, in addition to, you know, traditional radio. It's it's great to know that this is a message that uh, really can go pretty much anywhere. And... As odd as this may sound, I'm actually happy about the prospect that it's reaching people who actually want to hear it, as opposed to just blasting out into space, maybe hoping some alien civilization will pick up on it. I don't know. I'd be flattered if they listened too, but you are the person who I'm most grateful to have in my audience today. Thank you. Thank you. Our program is brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, as well as the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. And I'm going to start by dropping some truth on you. In fact, I will wager a guess that what I'm about to share with you is going to be the truest thing you will hear today. Now, the good news is it's also going to provide some needed comic relief for anybody who could use a good laugh. Came across this yesterday on Facebook. Teenage Pro Tips. Now, this is especially helpful if you have or you have had a teenager living or growing up in your home. But uh, this is this is something I don't know that I've seen something that was more truthful, more accurate in its portrayal. So these are teenager pro tips. Let's start with the first one. When the trash is full, put more trash on it. By the way, I shared these with my kids and they all were nodding like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) makes sense. Ah, here's my favorite. After drinking water from a cup, drink more water from a different cup. (laughs) You see where this is going? Ah, when the ice cube tray is empty, store it in the freezer. Here's another teenage pro tip. Open a few kitchen cabinets, cabinets rather, leave. How about this one? Tidy your room by putting clean clothes in the wash. I know I've heard my wife mention that one more than once or twice. When you need something specific from the store, ask if you can stay in the car. Here's another teenage pro tip. Moments before it's time to go, yell, where's my shirt? By the way, extra points if it's on a Sunday. All right, how about this teenage pro tip? All your shoes should be white, and also they should block the doorway. Or when you hear dinner, immediately start a lengthy activity, like taking a nap. This is a standard and proven one at my household. Empty food boxes go back in the pantry. (laughs) Or this, the the ground is your closet's largest shelf. Use it accordingly. <laughs> oh, just a couple more here. Uh, speak like a professor when you want something. Grunt otherwise. I think I had an aunt who kind of scared the whole uh, grunt <laughs> maneuver out of me. What happened was uh, my cousin and I were walking somewhere after the Rupert Idaho Fourth of July parade, and uh, we were we were headed to go buy some fireworks. And we ran into my aunt and a couple other relatives walking on the sidewalk towards us. And she says, where do you guys think you're going? And my cousin grunted and pointed. "Uh," 
and she lit into him. Don't you point your finger and grunt when I ask you where you're going. And I, being foolish and about probably 10 years old, laughed. Then she turned on me. You think that's funny? (laughs) And suddenly it wasn't funny. I was scared. (sighs) I miss her. She was a great aunt. She was also a pretty no-nonsense woman. I believe I heard the phrase escape her lips. You know, (laughs) if you boys are back in this alley teasing this dog, I'm going to beat boys till my arm falls off. And you know what? I would take her at her word. I think she, she was probably serious. All right. One or two more here. Teenager pro tips. When the dishwasher is empty, put your dirty dishes in the sink. The water you accidentally spilled makes the floor slippery. Quickly exit to safety. And here's the last one. When sitting on a couch, any location within arm's reach is appropriate for storing used food wrappers. It's kind of fun to look back. I don't have that many teenagers anymore. Out of six kids, there's only two of them that are still teenagers. But I'm telling you, we we went through a lot of the phases mentioned in this uh, in this little collection of teenager pro tips. It's pretty good stuff, and it seems to be right on target. Oh, no, I'm sorry. There is one more. This is probably the one most people will relate to immediately. Leave a half a swallow of milk in the container, put it back in the fridge, and say, it's not empty. So there you have it. And, yes, I do have a link to this in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. So if you want to follow it up and you just need a little bit of a laugh, here you go. Here's your opportunity. I can't be the only person who's struggling with um, just trying to get my mind around everything that's happening. And it's not so much from the standpoint of, oh, I'm trying to come up with a solution. I want to solve all of these problems. I think uh, what tests the limits of my sanity actually comes down to, am I seeing this correctly? Is it really this bad in terms of some of the the things that uh, people are asserting authority to do that other people are saying, yeah, please do that. Save us. And I think this is the product of living in a time when a very large number of people, and I mean good people, live in a sort of manufactured normality. What's normal to them, what they focus on and see as a routine part of life, is not normal. And it comes about when we stop questioning what people are telling us. If we just start to accept it at face value, we stop noticing things we should notice, and uh, we just only notice what we're told to notice. I mean, it's hard to describe the times in which we live without resorting to uh, pejorative terms. To say things are interesting does not begin to convey the growing sense of hysteria. And, and I'm finding myself using this phrase more and more. Maybe I'm using it correctly. Uh, how much mass psychosis has taken hold within our society. Now, I want you to understand before I go one sentence further, I'm not saying everybody who disagrees with me is crazy and therefore they're wrong. What I'm saying is there are an awful lot of people who operate under the impression that what they are seeing and what they understand about the world constitutes uh, normalcy. This is the status quo. They'll defend it. And they're missing some really important things. And sometimes this is by design because of what they're told. I mean, look, on the one hand, we have more information literally at our fingertips than has been available to any generation in in human history. But on the other hand, I look around me and I see more people disconnected from reality than most of us would be willing to believe. Now, I don't say that with the understanding that I am fully connected and I see everything that's going on. I say that simply as someone who actually makes a conscious effort 
to pay attention to what's going on around us and tries to to think things through. Okay, here's the intended result or what the stated uh, result is of a particular policy. But what are some of the unintended consequences that may come along with it? So lest you think I'm, you know, being rude about people who don't see things the way that I do. No, I'm just saying we have a different vantage point. But there's some things that we really need to be connected to reality in order to see and discern and avoid or correct, as the case may be. Because this disconnect that I see generally, it's the product of an unwillingness to view what's being fed to us through the lens of healthy skepticism. We no longer question what we're being told and our ability to think clearly atrophies. And this isn't just a matter of railing against examples of media bias where the news is reported in ways that benefit only existing power structures or lies are told to manufacture consent for wars or things like that. It's something that's at the same time more mundane and yet also more insidious. It's not just the marginalizing and the undermining of any opinion that falls off of that three by five index card of approved opinion. It's more about how our media, our political class pundits and talking heads work tirelessly to make the status quo seem normal. And once we allow ourselves to become lazy or just even when we allow ourselves to be governed by routine in our thinking, that's the point where we stop questioning what we're being told. We start to notice only what we're being told to notice, and we neglect other things that are vitally important. I like how Caitlin Johnstone puts it. She had a piece, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, on manufactured normality. This is how she describes what we're up against. She says, the way a celebrity says something obnoxious on Twitter is treated as immensely newsworthy, while daily U.S. drone strikes overseas go completely unreported. The way people starving and dying of exposure, both in the third world and in the first, while resources are vacuumed up by an elite few, is something we're all just kept dimly aware of, while Johnny Popsong wearing a meat tuxedo to the snobbies occupies headlines for days. That's pretty spot on. And it's through this method of shifting the public's focus, that's how you get a majority of people in a population to be manipulated into holding reflexive positions where we can't even intelligently explain why we hold those opinions. I'm going to come back to this in a few moments with a great example of what that looks like. You can check out the article in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. A quick shout out here to lifesavingfoods.com. I was looking over some of the different uh, food storage packages that they have. And maybe it's because of all the intense rain and flooding that my friends in South and Central Utah have been receiving. But um, I was thinking, you know, what do you do? You have your food storage and you worry, you know, what What am I going to do if, if a flood comes, people's basements get flooded? I mean, I'm not saying that, uh, boy, therefore you should never have any food storage on hand, but what would, what would it be worth to have some food storage that you could actually grab and go? And I looked down the page and sure enough, there is a grab and go package of food storage. And we're talking, I think, 60 individual servings in a roll top waterproof bag. This is what you would use like if you were whitewater rafting. 
I just thought, huh. You know, I've uh, until I started seeing a lot of the videos of the flooding in southern Utah coming up, I uh, I really hadn't thought much about it, but that just makes a lot of sense. And, and this cost right at 100 bucks. It's uh, it's a portable way of having some food available even if you got to grab it and go just add water. Kind of a cool thing. Now here's the cooler thing. You purchase that through lifesavingfoods.com. You mentioned Hyde H Y D E at the checkout. That coupon code will save you 10% off your purchase. So, with that, you'll find a link in the show notes. Let's go back to talking about manufactured normalty. Where our focus if we're not actively paying attention can be manipulated into adopting reflexive positions that we can't intelligently explain as to why we hold them. Now, I could use a really obvious example. Masks and vaccines are, are a big part of this. You see people that, that are literally confronting one another, and, you know, I'm just getting angry over it. But if you ask them, why do you, why do you feel so strongly about this? I would wager most people would be at a loss to tell you why they would react so, uh, so violently or so um, insistently against somebody else. So I want to give you an example of, of what this looks like outside of the COVID debate. So let's step back. A couple of years ago, Joe Rogan on his podcast was interviewing Barry Weiss, who at that time was working at the New York Times. But I use this example just to illustrate how powerful that normalcy, that manufactured normalcy can be, even in someone who you would think would, would not be very susceptible to it. So keep in mind, this was an interview that took place during the 2020, uh, the run up to the 2020 presidential race. And when Rogan mentioned Tulsi Gabbard, who at that time was a Democratic candidate for president, as soon as she heard the name Tulsi Gabbard, Barry Weiss reflexively spits out the word monstrous to describe Gabbard. And that's because she describes Gabbard as being a supporter of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. And so Rogan actually asks Weiss, well, explain your position. Tell me why you think Gabby or Tulsi Gabbard is uh, is a monster. And it was really embarrassing to watch Barry Weiss try to explain her position, but instead just sputter and kind of flail about without being able to do so. And I mean, she took a shot at it for a couple of minutes and could not. She couldn't say why. She felt that way. She just knew that she was supposed to. And in the end, she looked more like a kid repeating bumper sticker slogans than a thoughtful opinion leader. Now, remember, this is a trusted staff editor at one of the nation's premier newspapers. How could she find herself in such a predicament where if somebody calls her on this and says, well, be specific, what exactly are you talking about? She was unable to do so. And that's it's not because she's a bad person. OK, it's not because she's stupid or because she's evil. It's because she embraced manufactured reality without knowing why. You know, Gabbard did meet with Bashar al-Assad in early 2017, but it was no different than the kinds of meetings U.S. politicians do with shady politicians all the time. So somewhere along the way, Barry Weiss was trained to think about it as something monstrous and evil for which Gabbard had to be confronted. What exactly is Gabbard's alleged defense? You ready for this? She opposes the ongoing domination game being played by our national security state. In this case, Gabbard's stance against further military intervention, interventionism rather, and deeper foreign entanglements make her a threat to the existing power structures. So because of that, to discredit her, she's portrayed as abnormal. She's portrayed as a water carrier to the embattled Syrian president. 
When Barry Weiss denounced Gabbard, she only knew that she was supposed to denounce her, but she didn't know why. Okay, so I'm, I'm not piling on to Barry Weiss here. I, by the way, I have actually started following her writing in the last couple of years, and uh, to me, this looks like it was an honest mistake. I actually think she may have learned from it. She left the New York Times, for instance, by her own choice because they were being too demanding in their editorial control to the point where they were actually shading the truth. And that offended her sensibilities and her ethics as an editor. And she resigned. That's a stand-up move. So please don't think, boy, you really, you really, you know, throwing out the, the dirty laundry here for, for Barry Weiss. I'm just saying this was a good example of someone who reflexively denounced a politician whose name she had just heard, but didn't even know why she had done that. So if she's in a vulnerable position, I assume that that would mean the rest of us are, too. I mean, sometimes this manufactured normality takes the form of exaggerating things for the awful sake of making us believe it's a crisis. Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, You mean like COVID? No. Actually, I was talking like mass shootings. You know, mass shootings, even though you do still hear about them from time to time, comprise a microscopic percentage of the things that kill people every day. In reality, violent crime has been declining for more than 25 years. But you get some sensationalized reporting combined with availability bias, which you're seeing it. Therefore, it must be more prevalent than we thought. It leads a lot of people to believe this is an epidemic that threatens us all. Yeah, I don't even have to get started on how the same thing's been done with COVID, but there you go. Even worse, the people who buy into this manufactured normality are easier to frighten. They're easier to stampede into the arms of power-hungry politicians who are eager to seize greater power. That's why the current push for gun bans and other infringements against the law abiding is gaining traction in some circles. So how do you stop yourself from getting caught up in that manufactured normality? I remember Caitlin Johnstone suggested the best solution to that problem is just practice seeing the world through new eyes whenever possible. There's a guy by the name of Paul Draper. He's an anthropologist. I believe he teaches at UNLV. I can't remember. I know he's in he's in Nevada. He's also an uh, an illusionist. And, and just a, a really brilliant and very entertaining guy. But he talked about anthropology is all about observation. And I never forgot in his TED talk that he gave uh, some years ago, he spoke about how when you put an anthropologist into a new situation, like they, they spend time among a new native village and they're studying what the natives are about, they only have roughly a two-week window in which everything still looks new. Because our minds adapt, we're pretty flexible, and and we become familiar, and as we become familiar, we stop, you know, really looking at and really processing what we're seeing. You know, if you've ever moved somewhere, you know, the drive to work at first, you had to really watch to make sure you got the right turns and everything, but after a while, you can pretty much do it in your sleep, and maybe sometimes you do. So see the world through new eyes, that means you've got to learn to consciously pay attention to what you're seeing. But it's something you have to develop and it's something you have to regularly practice if you want to clearly see what you should be seeing. Now, this is not to be mistaken for paranoia. It's not to be mistaken for, you know, looking under every rock and behind every bush to see, you know, where the commies are hiding. It just means you don't take things on face value because someone in authority gave it to you. Maybe you understand authority is not the source of truth. Unless you're talking ultimate authority, like God, in which case, yeah, you're probably good. 
But if it's just simply someone in authority saying, you can believe me because I'm in authority. No, <laughs> that's that's not where truth comes from. I found another helpful rule is when it comes to something that you hear about or you are are curious about, you can start by asking yourself this question. What do I know about this person or issue that wasn't told to me by someone else? In other words, what do I know that I actually researched and verified and, you know, got firsthand knowledge of myself? And if the answer is very little, well, then it makes sense. You would probably want to proceed with caution before you try to hang your hat on it. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Thanks again for being a part of this audience. And look, one of the things that I appreciate most about those who have discovered this program is it appears there's more than just a few who have been willing to open your mouth and let other people know. So thank you so much. It's It means the world to me. I understand this is a message that's not for everybody because not everybody values or is looking for uh, the message that's offered here. But I hope it's one that brings you value, not only in understanding what's going on in the world, and hopefully this is a straight take on what's happening that uh, that doesn't rely on too much drama, too much self-aggrandizement, and gives you a better understanding of where we stand, as well as you know what you can do. I know it's hard, and, and, and I always try to approach this from the, from the standpoint of, Am I going to just add to people's fears? Am I just going to build their anger? You know, is this going to give them hopelessness? Because that is most certainly not my goal. But there's some crazy stuff. My kids and I had the conversation today about how we are living in historic times. And I love how my son put it. He says, you know, I didn't think it would suck <laughs> as bad as it does. And I, but you look back at the, the truly historic things. Yes, my granddad lived through the Great Depression and World War II and... Those were pretty tough times. That's, you know, really tough depending on where you were. So it's our turn. It's a historical cycle. It's something that we're going to go through. I think we're being given an opportunity to actually become the best, most refined versions of ourselves that we could possibly become. And that only happens when you're facing, you know, some pretty good resistance and friction, you know, in in your efforts to, to better yourself. But overall, I feel pretty optimistic. Now, having said that, Sometimes the most frustrating thing to me is that uh, it seems so very, very few people can actually recognize the danger that is materializing before us. And I don't say that to to mean, you know, oh, we're doomed. I guess what I'm getting at is the most unsettling aspect of the ongoing pandemic isn't, at least to me, it's not necessarily the threat posed by a particular virus. Because the survival rate of that virus, even with its various, uh, you know, its variations, is still extremely high for the bulk of the population. But it's the destruction of our remaining liberty by the systems that are working overtime to rule us. That's the most unsettling aspect for me. How do you help spell out the the gravity of our situation without just, you know, sounding like that tinfoil hat dude, you know, in the trailer park? Well, Judge Andrew Napolitano has what I consider one of the clearest explanations I have yet seen of what is being done and why it is incompatible with legitimate government. 
This is a, a op-ed of his pub- published in the uh, Washington Times. It's titled Violations of Americans' Freedoms During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And he starts with a quote from Thomas Jefferson. When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. Judge Napolitano says, as the world watches the disastrous ending of America's nearly 20-year occupation of Afghanistan, we cannot lose sight of what's happening here just below the media radar. Now, he says, I hope I'm wrong. Yet I see a time of great suffering coming soon for those of us who cherish, articulate, and defend personal liberty in a free society. He says, I hear it coming in the media drumbeat over the spread of the Delta variant of COVID-19 and by the and the demonization of those who exercise their inalienable right to dominion over their own bodies by declining to receive a novel and largely experimental vaccine. He says, I feel it in the subtle and not so subtle hints of politicians attempting to discern which way the winds of change are blowing and beginning to conclude privately that the direction of those winds is toward another sheepish American acceptance of repressive governmental measures in the name of public health. And he says, I sense it in the outcomes and judicial rationales of the early stages of litigations in which numerous state judges and state Supreme Court justices in the past week have purported to find constitutional and thus recognized the decisions of officials in the executive branch of government, the branch that exists to enforce the laws that the legislative branch has written, but now the courts are recognizing that the executive branch can write their own laws, call them mandates, and use force to compel businesses to close and healthy folks to wear masks on public and private property. That's a big deal. That's not something we can just shrug and say, well, it's a difference of opinion. Nope. This cuts right to the legitimacy of what government is and is not supposed to do. Judge Napolitano says the coming violations of basic freedoms... The freedom of total dominion over one's body, including the face, the freedom to exercise personal liberty, to own and to use private property without a government permission slip, and the right to a government that complies with its own laws, particularly the restraints imposed upon it by the Constitution, will sorely challenge and, if left unchecked, will severely weaken the values underlining our American Republic. He's right. And he says, add to this the near certainty that the federal government will borrow trillions of dollars in the next three years, thus raising the price of everything and thrusting the obligation to repay those loans onto generations of taxpayers yet unborn. And add to that the political pressures now being imposed on President Joe Biden to reestablish U.S. military dominance near Afghanistan. A dominance that under Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama was lethal, fruitless, catastrophic, and cost one trillion borrowed American dollars and tens of thousands of innocent lives. And which President Donald J. Trump wisely argued should never have happened and ought to be terminated. And he says, if you can see that, then you can see my fears. And he adds, we've seen all this before. Judge Napolitano says the principal values underlying our republic are that our rights are natural gifts from God and can only be taken away after due process, which requires that the government proves at fault at a fair jury trial that the government's existence is moral only when it derives from the consent of the governed, that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, and that when governments abandon these principles and assault our liberties, it is the right and the duty of the governed to alter or abolish or secede from the government. 
That's pretty strong language, but he's right. And he says, these are not the musings of a frustrated libertarian. Rather, they are bedrock American law embedded in and integral to the Declaration of Independence, in which Thomas Jefferson and all other signatories characterized our rights as natural and inalienable and insisted that no government is lawful without the consent of the governed. And the Ninth Amendment to the Constitution in which James Madison and the Congress and the ratifiers recognized our freedoms are too numerous to enumerate. And thus the amendment commands that government shall not disparage any rights, even unenumerated rights, without due process. Now he says, today all persons in government take a solemn oath to uphold these documents, including the Jeffersonian and Madisonian values underlying them. But you would never know that by observing their official behavior. It seems that no matter which major political party controls the government, the government claims it can right any wrongs, tax any objects, regulate any events, suppress any liberties, kill any foreign foes, real or imagined, and help any of its patrons. The Declaration and the Constitution and their values be damned. He asks, do you know anyone who has consented to a government that can, by executive decree, take away the very freedoms that the founding documents guarantee and that the authors of the decrees have sworn to uphold. Do you know anyone who's consented to a government that can take away personal freedoms by legislation? Do you know anyone who has consented to the government, period? So as far as solutions, here's what Napolitano suggests. He says, our only recourse is massive, peaceful, loud public resistance that meaningfully threatens peaceful secession from the government. The same secession Jefferson and his fellow revolutionaries and signatories argued for in the Declaration of Independence. Resistance even by a persistent and passionate minority can topple the mandates. But it must be resistance so ubiquitous and so loud and so serious that the government fears the people. He says, if you want to wear a mask, wear it. If you want the vaccines, get them. But keep the government off the backs of those who don't. Then our freedoms will be secure. I mean, that's a lot of common sense. The thing that really struck me as I read Napolitano's piece here is that uh, it really appears that politicians are starting to test the wind. How are we going to get away with another wave of lockdowns? And I think that they are privately starting to conclude, hey, it looks like the citizenry is going to knuckle under. They're going to bend a knee for this one. Which leads me to believe that those same power seekers and opportunists who caused so much harm in the lockdowns and the non-essential designations, you know, last year, they're going to do it all again. And it's scary. I mean, they are they are moving into very dangerous territory. And I don't say that to be a Debbie Downer. I just tell you that uh, I think he he called it correctly. The direction of those winds is toward the American people accepting these repressive governmental measures. Now, I can't answer for you. You know, should you go out there and be part of that, uh, you know, vocal but peaceful resistance? You know, that is up to, that's up to you to decide. I can only tell you that as long as I have a voice and as long as I have a platform, I will make clear that to any consensus is merely an illusion because I do not consent. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just want to mention that, uh, yes, this program is brought to you in part today by the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. You know, uh, real estate is such a, such a crazy market right now, particularly in the Intermountain West and, yes, particularly in the state of Utah, where the Heather Turner team of Patriot Home Mortgage is based. So if you are purchasing a home in Utah or, for that matter, in southern Utah, these are the folks you need to get a hold of. You can call Heather at 435-703-4522. You can see her office at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, and Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. You can also just go to my show notes and drop a note saying thank you for being a sponsor of this show, because I really do appreciate the support of uh, Heather Turner and the uh, team there at Patriot Home Mortgage. All right. On matters of being free, there are a lot of different voices that I like to listen to. And I was really happy to come across a recent column from Alex R. Knight III. I've actually I've had him on my show. It's been a little while. Probably ought to dust off the Rolodex and, and get him back on the show. But his latest column includes some of his best speculation and prognostication about what the future will bring. And in fact, he starts with a question that I thought was really a terrific place to start. And that is, hey, do most people actually even want to be free? Here's what he has to say. Alex R. Knight says, at the risk of covering old ground, I find it necessary to begin by re-paraphrasing something I believe Dr. Dr. Robert Higgs stated some time ago. To the effect that one of the biggest mistakes modern libertarians make is the erroneous presupposition that people, by and large, actually want to be free. By the way, I've been very guilty of this myself. But he says the evidence historically demonstrates that they don't. At least, freedom is not their highest held value in any case. That would be safety, security, and the promised, however falsely, guarantee of such. And again, not necessarily in any provable objective sense. They want the feeling of being physically defended. Again, the promise, however hollow, and to be economically provided for in the event of mishap or misfortune. Liberty, to the extent that most people even really understand what that word means, is fine, but never when it comes at the expense of those two government-provided prerequisites of safety and security. Now, Alex Knight says, I don't expect that this will ever change. That would require a change in human nature itself, and the human race will expire altogether before any such transmogrification is likely to occur. In other words, as I've spoken about with uh, Skylar J. Collins, and he has a link to their conversation, mass ideological conversion to libertarianism is not something that lies in society's future. Okay, that's a hard truth, but I think he's probably right. So what does? Well... Alex Knight says, we can't, in truth, be certain about much except continuing technological progress, barring, of course, total human extinction in some cataclysmic event. He says, technology is a double-edged sword because it can be used to build and liberate or it can be used to enslave and destroy. Can we make any predictions about where increasing scientific knowledge will take us in the decades and centuries ahead? For instance, he says, I've been fascinated with and even astonished by recent revelations of mainstream media 
anointed by the unholy water of government regarding military encounters with UAPs. I guess UFOs is now considered an obsolete term. But this used to be the exclusive province of fringe groups and late night radio. And if we're going to be completely honest with ourselves, he says, I'd say that these things now provide us with pretty reliable prima facie evidence that man is not alone in the cosmos, that uh, other beings who reside elsewhere than our own planet possess technological capabilities far beyond present human ones. Which he says, is it reasonable to assume that we too may one day get there? Now, insofar as modern human science understands, gravity seems to be a keystone, perhaps the fundamental force in the universe. And it also seems to be related to space-time in a capacity that no other known natural phenomenon is. It would further appear to garner its power from the electromagnetic energy contained in leptons, leptons rather, subatomic particles that comprise all known matter. The only manner known by human science so far by which to create a gravitational field is to compile mass. Which as a practical reality means repairing to bodies that already exist in nature like stars, planets, asteroids, or even quasars and black holes. He says, now imagine for a moment that some kind of technological construct could artificially generate a powerful gravitational field absent equivocal mass. And imagine that this field could be amplified, deamplified, lensed, and focused as needed. You have, inasmuch as present human science understands, now harnessed the, ca- the capability to bend both time and space to suit your purposes. Interstellar, even intergalactic travel, teleportation, invisibility, time travel, possibly even interdimensional travel. Virtually the entire laundry list of science fictional capabilities become reality. In fact, he says, this could, in short, be the, the very science behind the UAP phenomenon. So, what government will be able to control any person or any people who possess that technology? Now, he says, no doubt governments, upon catching wind of the human development of such technology, will extend every effort to keep it for themselves. Perhaps they even have, if he believes his stories like those of uh, Robert Lazar. But he says, that said... I'm sure they would have preferred to keep the Internet out of our hands forever, but look what happened. So Alex Knight says, My biggest gripe, other than the fact that for anyone alive at the time of this writing, the future most liberating possibility remains purely academic, and that's that the death of government will likely occur in an entirely anticlimactic fashion, with shrugging shoulders and yawns rather than massive parades and fireworks. But he says people's ideological ideas will not change. Government will simply become an obsolescent, unworkable idea, and letting it slip away away will be treated like trading in eight-track tapes for cassettes or electric typewriters for computers. In fact, he says, I almost feel entitled to be a little pissed off about that, to be perfectly truthful. Something as destructive as government should come to a more dramatic end. Right? Like the Death Star. But he says an end is an end nonetheless. So he says, I'm now at the end of my present speculations and prognostication. I can only otherwise regret that I, in all total likelihood, will not be alive to see any of this unfold into reality. But some generation of human beings, I imagine, probably will be. And he says, one more guilty entitlement, if so. I envy them. Well, I like his take, and I think it's optimistic. 
And I'm really working hard on something. And, and frankly, if you have feedback for me and you, you, you want to tell me when I'm getting off track, I am trying to find the good in things. I don't have to tell you there's plenty of bad news. There's more than enough bad news just waiting to be found and disseminated. But I'm trying to find the positive, even in the tough things, the difficult things that are going on around us. Sometimes I succeed and then sometimes, I don't know, maybe I get pulled into the rabbit hole and I, you know, I I get uh, I find myself wanting to rant. And I don't think that's the best or highest use of either my time or my talents or um, my, my desire to just to get truth and information out there so that you can have a more solid connection with reality. Now, if you really want to do me a favor sometime. In my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, there's a couple of different things you can do. You can always drop me a note. There's a comments feature. I love to receive comments. I love to receive constructive criticism. If you just want to call me up and tell me I'm the problem with everything in the world, hey, if that's what makes you sleep better at night, call me up and tell me. It's, it's not, uh, not going to hurt my feelings. However, if you're going to give me you know, some advice for, hey, you use the word um too much or whatever it may be, I will listen. And I'll thank you for pointing out what I failed to notice for myself. If you are so inclined and you're feeling a little bit adventurous, you may want to consider even dropping me a voicemail. You can do that. There's a link in the show notes. Again, go to thebrianhydeshow.com and you can just click on that little link and it'll take you to where you can record a voicemail to me. And I, I may start using some of these voicemails in the show. Some people don't want their voice on the air and that's that's totally fine. I won't force it on anybody, but... Uh, I appreciate whatever feedback I can get from you. Number one, it reassures me that my five listeners are really out there. Thank you (laughs) to all five of you. But it also helps keep me accountable. Because I need you to know that I take very seriously the the stewardship that I feel to, to try to bring information that will inform, inspire, you know, uplift and strengthen people rather than just beat them into submission or give them a sense of, well, we're all screwed, so let's whistle a happy tune. I think most days I succeed, but some days, yeah, it gets to be a bit much. Maybe you've noticed towards the end of the week. (laughs) Okay. Thanks again for being part of our audience. This is The Brian Hyde Show.